After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. And in this episode, I interview Donald Kilbasa. Donald is impressive and has a very lengthy background with a lot of twists and turns. And while he is not a former teacher, he's coming on to talk all about working from a side hustle to a full-time business. Don is an experienced attorney and CPA with over 17 years on the books, and he's already served 8,000 clients. He's also a best-selling author of The Tao of the Side Hustle. So we couldn't think of a better person to come on and talk about many teachers' favorite topic, which is side hustles. Hey, Don, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. We're going to talk all about your, you know, best advice on starting a side hustle or making your side hustle your full-time job. I'd love to hear a little bit about your own personal story, where you really landed in a full-time career, and then how you took that into being your own business owner? So historically, I was an attorney CPA. I'm still an attorney CPA. I kind of, you know, kind of just drank the Kool-Aid of the baby boomer generation taught me. Go to school, get a job, you know, buy a house, do all these things. Unfortunately, just the entry threshold for like the student debt, the housing, all that stuff was pretty crazy. I I didn't, at the time, no one explained to me that relative to the income, the cost of these things are so insane right? Compared to when like our parents were buying stuff. So I kind of went to school, got all kinds of debt, and then got a job and then realized it was basically impossible to keep up. So that's what really inspired you to start a side hustle on top of your job or? No, what ended up happening is, um, so when I didn't practice law, I did martial arts. And my first side hustle was filming the motion capture for Mortal Kombat for Warner Brothers, right? And I didn't make a ton of money, but it was really interesting when I did that uh, side hustle, it was 2009 when it happened. I was barely making ends meet like from my job job. But then all of a sudden, like I was like, oh man, I made a little extra this month. It wasn't a lot, it was kind of a, it was a smaller appearance, but it just kind of sparked something in me that says, man, I could go out and help make ends meet by doing additional work. So your side hustle was basically being like a freelance kind of contractor for other corporations. Am I understanding yeah. that correctly? That's correct. I was doing freelance work. Uh, I I went in, I filmed, I made a little extra that month. And man, it just spurred me. And it just made me realize like, okay, nobody's coming to save me. They're, the income is not going to keep up with the relative expenses that are out there. I I, I mean, dude, I could not believe you know, you, you go to school, you come out, you're a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in debt if you have a professional degree and your parents didn't save, right? After that, you got to buy a mortgage. If you know your more your house, your next thing you know, your mortgage is four hundred thousand dollars or something like that, assuming that you're able to make enough money to buy a place, right? 
and then you write you turn your, you find yourself right back into the cycle when you're saving for retirement and then if you have children you have to start saving for them right so the numbers just are they're so out of whack from the amount that I was getting from my W2 income that I was like I got to figure out a way to make more money yeah when you were starting your freelance business was it a struggle for you to find clients or to figure out how to pitch yourself as a good fit for them to hire? Absolutely. I got, I kind of got lightning in a bottle. I got really lucky that I had a relationship with someone who helped me film that first one. The first one, what it did is it spawned the idea, right? It told me like, okay, I could go out there and really do this. Once I figured that out, I was like, okay, I got to find other odd jobs that I can try to build into other things, right? Along that journey, I, uh, so I probably had um, eight or nine ideas that I did, but then like the 10th one skyrocketed, right? It was just very good environment, timing, all this other stuff. I was dabbling with all these other ones and then one hockey stick. Yeah. So what do you think were the key factors that contributed to the success of that last one? You know, the thing that I really appreciate about learning about my, the one that actually worked was sometimes it's not, biggest mistake people make is during a good economy, they think it's them. And during the bad economy, they blame the economy. It has so much to do with the totality of the circumstances, like the environment that you're in, the timing, right? So what ended up happening is I built all these little boxes, you know, and they were like, they were just strikeouts, right? But the 10th one, by accident, I happened to fall into an opportunity where I was dealing with an emerging market and I was able to get in and solve people's problems pretty quickly, right? And um, if... The, the advice I try to give people um, is, and the reason why I, I really push the side hustle thing is it allows you to be adaptive, but it also allows you to forecast. You get to forecast the needs of the consumer because if you're big, it's hard to really forecast, like be forecast, forecast and be adaptable. But when you're small enough, you can forecast like, man, I think people will need X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'd love to put this kind of in terms to the teachers might be able to relate to. We had a past podcast episode where we talked all about educational consulting and in the way that consultants work with school districts and provide the professional developments for school districts. It is a common freelance contract position and something that can be lucrative. So if you're trying to forecast a trend, if it was before 2020, if you happened to be someone who specialized in helping schools completely go remote, you would have been hot in demand. It would have been easier for you to find work. And then right after the pandemic, potentially focusing more on like classroom management or focusing on professional developments that helped students readapt to coming back into a learning environment after, you know, being in that virtual setting for a couple of years. When you're looking for side hustles that you think are going to be successful in the future. Have you given anyone any specific tips of like how to adjust what they're doing for adaptability? Like, do you do one-on-one coaching with people or have those conversations? You know, um, I generally don't do coaching and I wrote Tile the Side Hustle. We launched to 21 in the country. You can find us in most Barnes and Nobles right now. I generally don't do coaching. I I don't, it's just not what I do. I'm an attorney. I'm CPA. I coach to the extent of tax and legal, 
but I very rarely give that type of career coaching. However, one of the reasons why I really wanted to do your podcast is everyone out there, please listen to me. If you're in education, I strongly suggest to you, you broaden the range of side hustles that you guys can do. Let me, let me be very direct about this. Everything is going to come down to human capital and relationships. Intellectual capital is driven by educators. Like, dude, if you're like a car salesman right now, you don't have to like be amazing at knowing what a car is. You just need to be able to educate the consumer. Consumers are have such a massive appetite. They're so smart right now. And the way they consume and digest information is so different than when we were kids, right? Like if you want to sell cars, if you want to sell real estate, if you want to sell mortgages, if you want to sell bonds, most of it comes down to educating the actual consumer. Most consumers, they want to be educated, they want to know their options, and they want guidance for you to help them along their journey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people that I see out there are extraordinarily self-obsessed, right? It's about them not realizing that they're there as part of the journey of the consumer, right? One of the cool things about educators is they can actually step back and they have a lot of a, a very high level of empathy, a high level of connecting to the consumer and saying, hey, let me help you along your journey because that's what you're doing at your schools. You're helping those students. Like it's wild to me the way the, the way teachers are paid. You guys are creating a very uh, the, like one of the highest value in the system right now. You guys are creating our future. That's a high level of value add right there. There's so many professions out there. They're they're not actually adding any value. They're just a parasite to a transaction, right? The, the, the trick, if you're able to redeploy some of those calories that you're using on helping the youth to certain industries, right? From my perspective, you guys will dominate in, in the future that's coming because the future that's coming, you really just need to be able to explain to people like what they're buying or what they're doing. And explain it in a way that they um, feel like they can trust you. They feel like they have a relationship with you, that likability factor. And I think a lot of teachers downplay how likable they are, how much heart they clearly have and how honest they are when it does come to communicating and making sure that they're being as ethical and responsible as possible while also making sure that there's no knowledge gaps so that the people are making the most informed decisions and people pick up on those cues. They're able to really see like, oh, this person is giving me all the necessary information and they have my best interest in mind. That's right. That's right. Like if you're a teacher, by implied in your label, you are selfless in your behavior and you're teaching the other party, right? Now, the only thing you need to do is translate that into an area that provides a more lucrative reward. Let me say it like that, right? Because there used to be this barrier. If you wanted to sell cars, you had to be knowledgeable on cars, right? And truing up to that knowledge level, it was a very steep climb. If you wanted to be like a real estate agent or a real estate broker, you really needed to be a real estate person, right? And truing up to that knowledge level was very hard. Today's model, truing up to those levels, 
are, is not as difficult as people think. You can really onboard people quickly, but it's really difficult to teach people that emotional intelligence to connect to consumers the way teachers do it quite naturally. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. And it's why the people really do value teachers' transferable skills. It's just our responsibility to also learn how to translate those skills to show our value with confidence and that we understand the new types of positions or the new types of roles that we're going into. I'd love to hear a little bit more about making sure that you have financial stability when you're going to take a side hustle to a full-time hustle. That's something that's always been really important to me to talk to teachers about because I know that there are so many teachers who do have side hustles, but do you have specific milestones or benchmarks that you think that people should achieve before quitting a full-time job to focus on a side hustle full-time? Yeah. Okay. Um, First of all, anybody out there, if anybody says... Like quit your job to start your business. Don't do that. That's bad. <laughs> I am a transitioning person. Macro level. I'm a big Adam Smith wealth of nations. There's three ways you make money. Salary, profit, and rents. Salary, you got a job. Profit, you own a small business. And then rents, you got some sort of appreciable property. Real estate or the stock market, something like that, right? I, how the side hustle, the book that I wrote, helps people transition from it from salary to profit. It helps people slowly transition to starting a business, right? Before you do that, find out what your goal is, right? Recently, I met a teacher and her goal wasn't to transition to a business. She actually really liked her job. She was just, she needed to make some extra money, right? And this was kind of, um, uh, she had a really interesting business. She had an exact dollar amount that she wanted to make extra, And she produced a product for a very specific market and got to that number and then stopped, right? Mm -hmm. So she wanted to make X dollars and she got there, right? I I don't want to transition. I like my job. I just, boy, it would be nice if I had an extra 2000 a month. That's it, right? That was her thing. I've met other people who had much more ambitious dreams of like transitioning. They, They absolutely hated their job and they just needed to figure out a way to get out, right? For those people, I believe it's better to do it over a long term because the the long term, I'll give you an example. I want to tell you one thing that I do that most people don't, it's not intuitive, right? I live my life one year in arrears financially. What that means is I don't touch this year's money until after next year's. The reason I do that is it gives me a runway to forecast changes in the market, right? So applied, what that means is like 2023, I keep all of the money in my bank account until after I file my tax return in 2024, right? So April's the tax return, you extend to October. That means November, I could actually start spending the money for the prior year. Today, right now in 2023, I'm spending 2022 money, right? And that helps me adjust in case there's fluctuations in the market. The way I was able to do that, live my life one year in arrears, is I did this super slow transition from job to small business, right? And what I did is in the very beginning, I just never touched the money until the subsequent year, right? And that allowed me to be so resilient during changes in the economy. So 
for a specific application, when I what I ended up doing, because I had a little bit of a different goal than the lady that I just suggested, where she just had a specific benchmark number, I wanted to quit my job. I hated my job. Everyone was super mean and I just wanted out, right? So it took me eight years to get there. And basically what I was doing during those eight years is um, I was doing a bunch of trial and errors with things that didn't work. I found one that worked. It ended up working out very well. And I waited until I knew I could, I was matching my salary, right? And all those years I was banking in case I needed to, um, you know, dip in if if something happened to my business. Yeah, I think I started my business in 2017 and I did not leave my full-time position until 2021. And it was just watching the markets because some things are seasonal. You don't know if you just happen to have a good year or if it's something that's going to be sustainable in the long term. And I actually really enjoyed my full-time position. So it was a hard decision for me where it was, I like both of these things, but I'm no longer able to do both of them well. And that's a very fortunate situation to be in, a very hard decision. But I always err on that side of caution And I also love that you gave that story of the teacher who just had an income level that she was looking for, like an additional like supplemental income level she was going to do. And then she was going to stop because I think what's really happened with hustle culture is we keep pushing the benchmark further and further and further. And then we forget what we were initially really looking for. If you're looking for your time back, and you're looking for a little bit of additional income, well, you don't want to be working 24-7 on this indefinitely because you keep pushing the benchmark further and the goalpost keeps moving into a different direction. And so sitting down and making like one-year, three-year, five-year goals of like what does success look like for me in this side hustle endeavor is a really good strategy to keep realigning yourself and realizing hey, did I make the number that I was supposed to make and now I'm doubling it just for my own personal ego or validation and I'm burning myself out? Or is that working towards that goal that I had already aligned myself with? That's right. I Like I made that mistake. I got drunk off the hustle culture Kool-Aid. When, when, I, when I really started growing exponentially, right? And I started, I started reaching what I thought from relative to, from my perspective to be like insane heights, right? I didn't realize like all the additional baggage that comes with it. Like, first of all, the more you make, you're more, more you're taxed, right? The more you make, the more labor costs you have. Like the more you make, there's more things you need to just be juggling. And I found myself in a position where I had 10 X my income and I was absolutely miserable. Like I, I, it was like the worst point in my life. And I had all this stress on me and um, probably 2021, I started making moves where I have a very specific number that I'm going for. I want to hit that number. I want to spend the rest of the time with my family. If someone's better than me, God bless them. I wish them the best, but it's, I, I, I retracted. I hit this crazy height and then I retracted right back down because I didn't realize how miserable I was. Gonna be. Yeah. The scaling too quickly is something that can really hold you back. And especially even I've listened to another podcast. It's the Smart Passive Income podcast. There was a really good interview. And I'm so sorry, I can't tell you the interview number off the top of my head. But it was someone who was talking about he didn't want to scale. 
he didn't want to get to the point where he had to start hiring a team and outsourcing, delegating different responsibilities, because that was a new skill that he was going to have to learn to add onto the plate. And his goal was, how do I make just enough money to have freedom with my family? And once I start adding these different layers into it, it's going to be more complex. And I think that there's arguments on both sides, but that's where it really comes down to what does your side hustle look like? What's going to be the best fit for you? Are you exchanging time for money? Is it something that's going to be a little bit more passive? What really is the direction you're looking for? And then working your way strategically towards that. To all the people who are out there are listening, if I were in your shoes, if I could do it all over again, I would look at super small incremental growth so you could make these decisions along the way. Like your first six months, make an attempt to make just enough to pay your car bill, right? Then your next six months, make just enough to pay your car bill, put a little extra in savings. Just a very, very small... So I'm Korean, I'm not Japanese, but in Japan, there's a word that's very popular. It's called Kaizen. It's very small incremental improvements, like 1% a day, right? And my problem is I, I stopped listening to that fundamental. I scaled super quickly and it was like, it was just awful dealing with that. I'm glad I did it because in doing it, I had the opportunity to experience the ups and downs of it. And I realized that I don't like that life at all. And then I found a, a nice little happy medium of where I'm happy. But if I were the people in the audience, small little incremental growth, and that will allow you the runway to make all these decisions and calls. Yeah, that's such good advice. What other misconceptions do you feel like people have about side hustles or full-time entrepreneurship in general? See, I feel like, you know, it's funny. People use the word side hustles, but... Do you know, uh, so before I was a lawyer, I was a CPA. I'm still, well, I'm still a CPA, but I, I only practice as a CPA at one of the big accounting firms. And most big companies have a line item, a category called research and development, right? That's where you get to experiment and dabble to see if things work. From my perspective, I always viewed side hustles as being kind of a research and development phase, right? You're testing a business out to see if you can move it from side hustle to stabilized scale, right? Um, I think a big misconception people have is like that side hustles are, side hustles from my perspective is you testing out different things with very minimal risk exposure, to see if it's something that you will have an appetite to see if it works. And one of the things that I think people need to exercise extreme restraint on like the entrepreneurial stuff is be cautious of a lot of the stuff that you see online. When you see people very, very flashy, you got to really watch what they're selling you. Like guys, I'm not selling this type of stuff to you, right? Like I've worked really hard to kind of stay below the radar. The only reason why I've recently started coming out is because of my book, right? But I view my value proposition as more of as a tax and legal expert than I do as like someone who's a business coach. I view, I, the only reason why I share the story is because it's super quirky and I think it gives a blueprint 
of things I did well and things I'm really messed up on, right? But the, the thing I would be very cautious of is if any entrepreneur is out there and they're being too flashy, I would exercise extreme restraint and on like what their business actually is. Yeah. And I know you probably don't want to give examples, but I'll go ahead and give some <laughs> examples of if there's if there's somebody who's their entire Instagram feed is them working on a computer on a beach. And they're just saying, this is what entrepreneurship looks like. Here's me living my best life. And I get to work from wherever I want. Working from wherever you want, absolutely. It's not necessarily the reality of it. And those are usually just made to feed the algorithm and make people feel jealous. And even, you know, inspires that hustle culture of, as we're recording this podcast episode, the reason why we're not on video is because I don't have time to even flat iron my bangs or do <laughs> my makeup. Owning a business is not as glamorous as people sometimes like to show. And right. it sometimes yeah. ends with really late nights. It sometimes ends with doing work you don't necessarily want to do. And it sometimes ends with not having a flashy paycheck that you're going to necessarily put all over Instagram of this month I made X amount of dollars doing this. Some of those are absolutely true and they're wanting to show you the possibility. Many of them unfortunately are becoming more and more popular that you need to have a really discerning eye when you're looking at that type of content of where's the proof are they actually teaching you actionable advice or are they just teaching you um, to be jealous of a lifestyle that may not even potentially exist on the other end of that screen? That's right. Like a lot of these guys are, you know, they're selling, you know, tickets to conferences. They're selling platform access or coaching access or something like that. Like if anybody's too flashy like that, that is not what entrepreneurship looks like. Entrepreneurship looks like you find your the reason that, that motivates you, your why. For me, my why is my family. I want to be with my family. Then you set a goal of that why. And then you take actions. Like you, you try to use side hustles to get to that goal. And that's it. It's real simple. Anybody's showing you too much stuff. Like, dude, some of that stuff is wild that I see on the internet. Yeah, I definitely, I've seen some very misleading claims about how much people make with educational consulting. And I personally worked as an educational consultant, not for school districts, but for a Fortune 500 company. And I can tell you that the salary that they were saying that they got as an educational consultant was four times what I was getting at a well-known company. But if you do some research and you look this person up, you can't find any actual ties to them working with the companies. So Use a gut check, see if they're if they're credible, if you can find real people who have worked with them and just look for that actionable advice that can help. And I really want to go into your book, The Tao of Side Hustle, um, just to learn a little bit more about what people can expect to learn from your book, because that's ultimately why I had you on. So what are some of the top things that you teach in your book? Okay, so... Let, if we're going to be macro level, Tao the Side Hustle is a blend of Buddhism, martial arts, business, right? It tries to bring it all together so you can have some sort of vehicle to get you to your goal. 
right? I believe there's three, Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, there's three ways you make money, salary, profit, rents, right? In the United States, there's three places where wealth is stored in retirement funds, real estate, and small businesses. You see how there's an overlap when it comes to businesses, right? What I, the reason I wrote Tao the Side Hustle, it's a structured blueprint of going from like salary to profit through a three-step process of side hustle, stabilize, and scale, right? And basically what I'm trying, what I tried to do is I tried to itemize like the very specific factors and like key tools that I used when I was going to scale. And um, not just me, like, oh, listen, this is my 18th year as an attorney. And before I was an attorney, I had six years as a CPA. So I'm 23 years in the game and total, I've probably worked with over 8,000 businesses in, let's call it the wealth field, right? The developing of wealth, because ultimately small businesses are a form of wealth. And the biggest hurdle I see people run into is sometimes to make that investment and to create a small business, like the risk exposure is insane. Mm -hmm. Like you got to like, like, for example, um, my family was big in the restaurant industry uh, in the, uh, in the equipment. And, you know, if you're going to start like uh, a ghost kitchen or something like that, you know, the prices of some of this stuff can be insane right now. There are some people who have the appetite for that sort of risk exposure. Some of us, not so much, right? Some of us can slowly creep in and try different things. And Tao the Side Hustle kind of shows you how, to, how I walked through that. I love that. And I love that you are able to kind of blend it with some of your other passions as well. I feel like it is really interesting to, to read things that aren't just like the cookie cutter here's the top five ways you can make a side hustle. And so I'm very excited to get my hands on your book and dive into it. Thank you so much for being here, Don, and just sharing all this really great information. It's been a pleasure. I just want to say one last thing, Daphne, I really appreciate what you do. To all the educators who are out there, you, we see you, we hear you. It's awesome what you guys do. It's very unfortunate that uh, there are constructs out there that make your job so difficult where we should be trying to make your job easier. Mm -hmm. With that said, the training that you have is transferable to basically every field right now. If you check out every field, emotional IQ is basically moved to the top because AI and all this other stuff has made bridging the knowledge gap very uh, much easier. Right. To all those people in education, we love you. We appreciate you. If you do not feel the love and appreciation back, consider redeploying some of that energy into an area that will give you that sort of respect. Great advice. Thank you so much. And just really, really, really happy that you were able to come on the show. Cheers, everybody. I want to give a huge thank you to Don for coming on and sharing all of his wisdom with this audience. If you are interested in starting a side hustle, we have a couple other episodes specific about starting side hustles, educational consulting, freelancing, and we really encourage you to go back and check out our library of those different episodes as well. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. We'll see you on the very next episode. Mm-hmm.